Welcome to the Nerds and Friends podcast. Today we have author Jan Foster joining us from the UK. Very exciting to have you on the podcast today. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Josh. Absolutely. Well, let's start jumping right into your uh, book series. I checked out your website and you have a plethora of works, which is really, really cool across multiple genres. You have children's books, you have fantasy novels. I mean, talk to us about which genres you enjoy writing in and why. And yeah, let's jump in. Well, I like them both, if I'm honest with you. Um, The children's book series was first uh, and it was born out of me having children. And then I was doing a lot of reading in schools with children. Nice. And I realized that there was a lot of uh, there was a gap in the market, shall we say. Um, Not so much of a gap, but over in the UK here, we have a series of Topsy and Tim books where these twin people try uh, different things and they just live an ordinary life and I thought well that's great but it's not really telling the children much about what to expect in you know your first swimming lesson for example your first gymnastics lesson your first try at football coaching any of those sorts of things um so I decided to try and write a series which would actually explain that and uh obviously help encourage people into getting the kids more active, get the kids interested and explain what to expect from a first lesson. What you need to prepare with. Yeah, all all the equipment that you need. I mean, there's a lot, actually, when you think about it. Most people go to football training, you've got to get football boots, shin pads, swimming, it's the same. So it's it's actually more of a process. And for adults as well, just to be thinking about that process, it's important. Um, And the book, uh, Mitch and Mooch Try Swimming, was born out of that, took about a year to develop and write and get edited and then illustrated and all that sort of stuff. Um, so while that was, and it is an almost painfully slow process having illustrations done because there's a lot of back and forth and a lot of sort of discussion about what should be in each image. And particularly with a book that's kind of instructional, you have to really nail it so that yeah. the children can visually see it as well as, so you don't have to, you don't have to explain everything that like you would with a novel. You can use words to describe it. Actually, you have to use the picture. So it's a more extended process. Um, so while that was going on, uh, and I was kind of twiddling my thumbs waiting for illustrations, I just started writing a novel because I needed something. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, I, I was entirely selfish about it and my favorite historical era is the Tudors so it seemed the obvious choice to me to write something set in the Tudor age and then I just had this this idea for a series that I wanted to kind of explore explore a lot of themes through it but they're more mature themes should we say I was quite conscious that the books I wanted to read again it's just about things that I would like to read personally Uh, I'm you know I'm a middle-aged married woman and you know I, I I am not that feeling the flush of first love and first romance and all that sort of stuff so I, I'm not interested in that really I'm interested in maturing relationships that endure and how that can work and how you overcome the challenges of being in a relationship and then life throws something at you how do you handle it um, so I was very conscious that that was the kind of marketplace I wanted to position my books in so even though there is a romance element they're not boy meets girl or girl meets girl or girl you know they're not that they have that but they're not they're about maturer uh, people yeah so yeah 
that was that was how it all came about, really. That's and, fascinating. Uh, I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that's really cool because I like the dichotomy there. You're having books for yourself and then for kids, so you're you're helping you know make the world a better place and make your community a better place with these instructional books. And then you're writing these novels that are exploring deeper themes and going below the surface and really digging into people's relationships. That's really cool that you're doing that. I love that. <laughs> yeah, you're right about the digging into people's relationships. <laughs> Watch out! You never know who's going to end up in your book. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> friends and acquaintances beware <laughs> I, I have been thinking about getting there's a mug I've seen you can get it's just be nice to me or you'll end up dead in my next novel and I'm thinking <laughs> not that I have a huge amount of death in mind but you know you never know somebody never really know. annoys you you might just accidentally <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's awesome well a fun question I like to ask authors on the podcast is um, if the protagonist of your most recent work had to go on a road trip with the main character of the last book you read or the last TV show you watched, how would that go? Okay, well, firstly, that's a tricky one because my uh, natural series has two protagonists. Ooh, they okay. are a couple and they're written in dual point of view. So that's nice. it. But actually, I'm kind of half in love with my main antagonist for the book I'm launching at the end of February. Very cool. Which is called Anarchic Destiny. Now, Henry Fitzroy is uh, actually a name that those of you that know your Tudor history very well might recognize. He was, in reality, um, Henry VIII's first son. Oh. He was a bastard son. Um, and unfortunately, in 1936, he died. But in my book, he didn't die. He was actually, he well, he was very close to death, but he became a, a vampire instead. Oh. So, and then he's, when we, when we reach Anarchic Destiny, 1553, he's been basically kept in cap captivity for 17 years. Oh, wow. He, and... Uh, the reason being that he was waiting for Henry VIII to die and then Edward to die, and then he would be king because that's what he was promised. Mm. So uh, he starts off the novel in captivity, waiting, waiting, you know, twiddling his thumbs, kind of hoping something's going to happen. And then the news comes that he is not going to be king, that he's basically been forgotten about entirely and uh, really he's kind of go forth and be free. Because you have no place here. You have no reason to be in captivity. So his journey is very much one of starting from scratch, discovering who he is, what he wants. And he's also very morally grey. Um, some of my vampires are. In particular, this one is very morally grey. So you know, he's, cool. he's, he would be an interesting character to take a road trip with. Very oh, much for so. Sure. That road trip could go off the rails in some very fun ways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and as for the last book I read, well, I'm actually just at the end of uh, A Woman of No Importance. Um, I don't I know if one. you know, know much about World War history. A little bit. A little bit. Okay, well, um, the context for this is that I'm co-authoring a book at present, and um, we are doing a, a section which covers the resistance. Oh, and nice. so I, I do tend to read around the period that I'm writing in just because 
it helps keep my mind in that sort of era. Yeah. Uh, and I, I do start from the history. I get, kind of get the inspiration from what happened in history and then sort of, particularly in the Naturae series, sometimes real, well, quite a lot actually, real world events are woven into the storyline as a part of it to kind of advance the plot. So in this co-authoring project, um, which I can't really talk too much about right now, which is really frustrating. But uh, anyway, we are doing something which includes French resistance. And a woman of no importance is talking about a lady called Virginia Hall, who was actually American. But at the time, she essentially, when war broke out, she, she used to work for the, uh, the American embassy. And then war broke out. And she was kind of adrift in some ways, but she wanted to be more. She wanted to be useful. And she got involved with the Special Operations Executive, which was a guerrilla warfare department set up by Churchill. Yeah. And she was actually one of the first agents um, to be trained. She was a woman, um, which was unusual. All agents at that time were male. Yeah. So not only was she unusual because yeah. of her gender, but she also was unusual because she was technically disabled she had a wooden leg oh, so wow. the least wow. likely person that you can imagine being a spy <laughs> was parachuted into france to set up a network of resistance movement fighters and, and this is a true story phenomenally... right <laughs> true story true story absolutely oh. genuinely true story we she gotta make a movie about phenomenally her that's successful. awesome well, it's funny, I've been reading the book and then I was just surfing Netflix the other day for films about World War Two because, you know, living in the genre, living in the time. And then one popped up and it was called A Call to Be a Spy or Called to Spy or something like that. And I thought, oh, that might be interesting. Oh, it's got French resistance in the title. I'll give that a watch. And you know what? It was the story. <laughs> slightly embellished, slightly tweaked, but genuinely there was a film made about her but. You know, just a normally inspirational woman, a real kind of charismatic, uh, able to organise and inspire people and fingers in so many pies, but genuinely compassionate as well. You know, she really focused on making sure that um, when, when some of her people were taken prisoner because of a mistake that they made and the Gestapo would be, you know, absolutely on it. And she was hunted. She was one of their, you know, their absolutely key people that they wanted to find across France. Once once they'd invaded France in 1941, she was up there on the, you know, top 10 most wanted people. She was there, but she just kept evading them. It was brilliant, really. Wow. <laughs> it was absolutely fantastic. So highly recommend her story um, as, a, as a really uplifting thing. So in terms of your question, sorry, just to cycle back. Yeah. The question was, how would they get on on a road trip? She would drive. <laughs> yes. She drove. She started off by driving ambulances when the when the uh, when the front fell, when Maginot Line fell. Oh wow! Um, so she would drive because obviously he can't. For five hundred years, of a problem there. Yes. So uh, <laughs> she would drive, and I'm pretty certain that by the end of it, she would have him working for her undercover. And it's interesting yes. because in Anarchic Destiny. <laughs> He is actually, he does try out lots of disguises. He does try and fit in. He tries to blend in, but he just doesn't sit very comfortably with him because he doesn't, it's really hard to hide something when you don't know who you are. It's oh, a lot easier to be, oh, I'm putting on a disguise and I'm playing a part. But when you 
don't really know who you are and what you want, it becomes very difficult and it's it, you know, morally gray. Am I that person? Am I the bad guy that's going to do this? Or am I just playing a role? I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. So, yeah, be interesting. That's fascinating. Wow. What a great character you've built there with that morally gray struggle. I love that. Yeah. I I loved writing him. I really did. And I I was, uh, yeah, (laughs) he took me on some twists and turns. I wasn't kind of expecting and turned out gay in the end, which, again, didn't see that one coming. But it actually works. He didn't that's see it coming either, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's brilliant. And that, that book comes out in February, right? That's right. Yeah. It's the second in the series. Um, the first one, Disrupting Destiny, is out right now. And there's also a prequel. And if anybody's a Viking fan, then that's the one for you because it's actually set 880. Um, but it's a great introduction to the natural world so you really only just see the fae in that one okay. um the fae queen their system their, you know that how their society and their community operates uh but you also see how it disintegrates as well it's a tragic love story i've had people ringing me up going how could you do that had to be done that's how she gets made that's she's, awesome you know, she's just miserable really yeah so yeah that's great that you're having villains that have more depth than just the standard, oh, I'm a bad guy. You've got villains that have this pain or this identity crisis that they're working through. That makes them such better villains. I love that. Well, I also think as well, there's just very few books that are told from the villain's perspective. Yeah. And you're right. I, I got it, The idea was actually born out of beta reading a couple of novels, which were for uh, the YA market. And that's great. I've got no problem with that. That's that's wonderful. But there was a tendency in some of these to have a very two-dimensional bad guy. He wants to invade, he wants to conquer, and he's gonna come. And it's you know, you're building up the pace and it's all you know, the impending doom. Right. But why? Why is that person so bad? Why do they want to conquer? Why have they got this bloodthirst about them? And I just it struck me as actually. Do you know what? I, I don't want that. If I'm going to have a villain, then they need to have a driver as well. Otherwise, how can you move the plot forward? <laughs> so yeah. well, that makes it yes, that it makes was, you root for the, the story to come to a conclusion so much more because you're invested in the villain as well. Well, I feel like there's more tension. Absolutely. There's just, there's just more conflict in the scenes. If you understand why the villain is behaving the way that they are and why they're so driven to do these bad things and why the protagonist is equally trying to achieve the good things and how, how that kind of evolves yeah. as the story goes along. Do you ever try to have also to add more tension, give your protagonists and your good guys a lot more flaws as well? Yeah, they, they do have flaws, actually. I think they wouldn't be rounder characters if they didn't have blind spots or problems of their own. Uh, my two main characters, uh, my hero, if you like, uh, Joshua, if you can kind of picture. Great name. I, I, did a, I did a funny TikTok <laughs> video where I was doing my perfect casting and I cast him as uh, Chris Hemsworth, you know, in Thor. Oh, yeah. 
your nerds and geeks will know Thor. So oh, yes. yeah, Thor is kind of ah. So he is when I when I write him, I do think <laughs> think of that sort of image, if you like. Nice. But he is flawed not because he's thick like Thor is. He's flawed because he's torn. He was a human um, and was made Fey, and he's therefore oh. totally unique, unique amongst Fey. And he's not a human, but he's kind of still got a lot of that humanity about him. Um, and particularly the moral side of things. He was a Catholic all his life. And as you may know from, from your Tudor history again, um, 1536, when the book takes place, was the year that there was the schism with the Catholic Church. Oh. Henry VIII said, no more. I want a divorce. Um, and, I, you know, if the Pope's not going to grant me one, then I will basically make my own church and this was against the backdrop of protestant rising as a, as a belief system yeah. as a church so he's conflicted by the time we start the book because he has been made into a fey but already he's kind of burying that conflict and saying oh my wife doesn't want to talk about this she doesn't really understand the problem is as far as i'm concerned with the bible and with everything I've been taught to believe, I don't and can't exist. Oh, fascinating. So he's got that driver of he has to reconcile the fact that he he technically doesn't exist according to everything that he believes in. Oh. So what he's been doing is basically saying, well, OK, so I'll just put aside that belief until the point comes when disaster happens. He is ripped apart from his wife and he has only his faith to fall back on. He just naturally needs that support from having a faith. And yeah. so his, yeah. his journey is more one of reconciliation with himself about how he feels about faith and about what that means, what it is to, to have a belief in something that you can't see. And then as it turns out at the end of the book, he has both. He has a belief in something that he can't see um, but he also has a belief in something he can see. And I'm not going to tell you how and why, because <laughs> that would ruin the ending. Yes, that sounds wonderful. I, I can't wait to read that it. Well, that's really cool. Yeah, that's really, uh, really cool. Yeah, and Eva has conflicts too. She's, she's conflicted, definitely. She's the one who we have the question of her destiny. Okay. Uh, and her flaw is that she just doesn't want it. She's, she she rejects it. it. <laughs> yep, totally doesn't want it until she's forced to confront it. She has no choice. And then after, but actually, then she discovers something that's even worse than her destiny. Ooh, Aha. ominous! I like it. Ooh, um, mm. well, I wanted to ask you what is kind of your writing process <laughs> like? What are the kind of behind the scenes routines you do, or like what's how do you get so many books done? Because you've accomplished so many books. Like, how, what's your process like? I don't think I've accomplished a lot at all. In fact, I'm a baby for comparison. Um, do, do you mean on my day-to-day -day level or in terms of a grand, grand plan picture? I'd love to hear about both. Okay. Uh, <laughs> on a day-to-day -day level, I have to juggle a lot. Um, I'm not, not just a wife and mother, which is challenging enough as it is oh, yeah. uh, but I'm also a small business consultant so I have private clients that I uh, help grow their business with them 
Oh, wow. Um, and that's, that's a bit kind of ad hoc. It's either feast or famine or just dribs and drabs every day. I've got to do something, this, that, and the other. Right. Um, so that kind of has to come first because they're people that are kind of depending on me, so to speak, all of those family and clients. And then anything else gets kind of into the writing time. So I'm lucky if I have an amazing clear day, then I've probably got about at best five hours of straight writing when the children are in school. Nice. And at worst, it's 20 minutes if I'm <laughs> having a bad day or I just can't face it. It's just, you know, sometimes you're just so busy doing other stuff. You just think I just can't do it. But I am quite dedicated to the um, AIS approach, which is acknowledging that the words don't write themselves and that you're not going to get them written unless you literally get your ass in the seat and write. Yep. So I do find that having that mentality is very helpful in sitting down and focusing on it. And I don't have a problem slipping into my world. That's, that's, that's the easy and that's the joyous part of it, really. That's, you know, if you're a writer, then you, you'll understand. Yeah. Sometimes just going into your world, your your creation where everything's familiar to you and you know the rules and you know what to do and you know you've got that already there that's the yeah. that's the fun stuff oh yeah um no, i published my first of, book uh last month actually so i'm a all brand right. new well writer done, oh, thank you <laughs> i hope you're still feeling that buzz of accomplishment oh very much so yes <laughs> good excellent i'm so pleased to hear it never let that go and you know what every so now and again every you'll like introduce what you do to somebody and they'll go oh wow you're an author I just did it just now I just took my kiss to the dentist I was chatting to the receptionist and she was trying to get me to book an appointment on the 28th of February which is when my book launches and I was like oh, nope I have a book launching that day oh <laughs> yeah oh what an actual book yeah an actual you know sit down and read it book and oh oh I have no idea why would you what did you expect I would look like <laughs> you were right <laughs> we don't go around with big author signs on our heads but it's quite nice when it happens. I kind of wanted to after the first couple of weeks though <laughs> but in terms of, well you might I've, I've seen some people um wearing t-shirts which I think oh, is really? quite fun if you've got if you've got the balls to do it you know you kind yeah. of wear a t-shirt with your book image there or some some fun quote from it, um, that sort of thing. I'm, I'm thinking of getting some uh, T-shirts made for my Mitchabooch books, which I'm hoping to be able to start publicising properly as, as things open up a bit more, because annoyingly, the book launched and seven... Uh, it, no, it was due to launch, and seven days before, we had our first lockdown uh, <laughs> in England. <laughs> so there's like nothing you can do because it's locked, it's loaded, it's yeah. all ready to go, the party was planned press releases, da, 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 all of that work, all of that yeah. expense just completely down. Them. And as you can imagine, a book about swimming lessons when there's no swimming pools open. Mm. Oof, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, had a very unfortunate incident with my illustrator. So until I can resolve that particular problem, then I'll, I'll have to wait for the next book. Wait yeah. for the next thing. Mm. Well, as yeah. those continue to launch, please make sure you email them to me and I'll share them in all my social media because definitely want to support and get the word out there because that's, I love Thank the work you. you're doing. It's really cool. Thank you so much. That's really kind of you. It's, um, of it's fun work as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Tonight. It's so fun. <laughs> yeah. I've, uh, I've been given um, all sorts of fun props, actually, because one of the things that features in my children's book is something called a swim fin. 
I should have got one out ready, actually. <laughs> Is it like a little, like the little fins that go um, on the feet to help you paddle? Or no, it, it goes on the back. It, oh, like a shark <laughs> it goes fin. On the back. Instead of, instead of um, exactly, exactly that. So yeah, I've got this whole um, thing planned out with uh, activities to do with children, which there are on the Mitch and Mitch website, by the way, which I forgot to send you. But um, if anyone's interested. Loads of free downloads and resources on mitchandmooch.com. Um, and they have got a whole load of, you know, colouring and word searches and certificates of achievement, that sort of thing on there if you want to have a look around. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but, yeah, Swimfin really kindly have, because uh, I, I had to kind of get their permission to use their product in my books. Oh, yeah. And they've been fantastic. I can't recommend them enough. Um, and it's such a an awesome idea because with swimming bands with armbands on your on your child's arms yeah. uh, it restricts their ability to do the strokes correctly oh but the swim fin because it's around their chest uh, and literally sits like a shark fin on the back same same flotation in fact even better uh, and it can be used by adults as well um so yeah, they were they were absolutely brilliant and sent me a whole load of them to oh, wear nice. in all these assemblies and things <laughs> oh, that I want to do with the kids. So yeah, I quite I, you're very lucky. I have to say I did consider it, yeah, but because I think we were talking mostly more about novel side of things, I thought I'll oh, just leave the swim fin off. Time, but uh, I have been we'll definitely give swim fin the thumbs up for you. <laughs> uh, videos and things like that, and then just turn around and go. <laughs> just do the jaws thing and just have my swim fin on just for just for comic effect you know <laughs> but the kids love it it's you know it's really oh, yeah. fun you walk onto a stage and they're just like what are you wearing i'm a shock oh, i'm a shock <laughs> yeah so get yourself a swim fin and you'll be right in with mitch and mooch they'll uh, they'd love it awesome that's great thank you yeah well, Jan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was a really great discussion. And um, everyone who's listening, check out in the description of the video, we'll have um, all of the links to Jan Foster's works. So you can go ahead and follow her and support her and check out her awesome books. Because I know I, I want to hear more about uh, Henry the Vampire for sure. So Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. Well, thank you so much for having me, Josh. It's been a real pleasure. Of course. Thanks so much. Okay. Take care now.